Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. This week and next week, we're going to be talking about House of Miracles. House of Miracles, we finished up last month. We spent four weeks talking about our money talking about the tithe, talking about our giving. We're getting ready for Kingdom Builders Sunday, which is next Sunday. If you're brand new with us, at the end of every year, we ask our church to bring an above and beyond offering to accelerate the vision of God's house. And next Sunday, we're gonna be bringing our Kingdom Builders offering to the church and just believing God as we sow seed and as we give that God's gonna bring miracles in our life and in our church. And so, We're going to be looking at this week and next week two different houses, homes in the Bible that experience miracles. And I want to look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 7. Here's what God's word says. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him. Him is Elijah. At once go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath where he came to the town gate. And a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I don't have any. I I can't give it to you if I don't got it. She's saying, I don't have anything. She says, here's what I got. I got a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug, gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Feel, feel the hopeless tone of what she's saying. No, no, no faith, no hope. She's believing the worst about her future before it's happened yet. Hey, here's where we're at. We're gonna eat this, we're gonna die. Verse number 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry. She's, he's saying, hey, God, there's going to be a miracle in your household. You won't be without until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Verse number 15, she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. And keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Today I want to talk around this idea the makings of a miracle, the makings of a miracle. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for time around it. And Lord, my prayer today is that you would do what I cannot do, and that is change our hearts and change our lives. I pray today that when we leave this place, we wouldn't just have sung a song and heard a talk, but Lord, I pray that we would hear from you today. So speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said? The setting and context of 1 Kings 17 is one of a drought, a drought. There is a drought in the land, and the drought in the biblical narrative is always symbolic of trial, of hardship, of testing, right? Like when God's people were led out of Egypt, and they were being led to the promised land, when they were being tested, would they trust God? They were tested in the wilderness, and until they passed the test, they didn't get out of the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God to the wilderness 
to be tested. So settings of drought, the wilderness, the desert, those places are always symbolic in the scripture of testing, of hardship, of trial. And so the current setting that we read this text in is one of drought. It's one of desperation. It's a dry season where people are without and they're believing for God for provision. They're believing for God to come through and bring rain. Symbolic in the biblical narrative of blessing and favor and provision is rain. God's gonna send the rain. And so while we don't live in a physical drought right now, while this is not most of our realities here in central Virginia, there may be an area of your life, a piece of your life where you say, this is a dry place. This is a drought. This is an area of my life where I need the provision of God. This is an area of my life where I need the hand of God. And so here in this story, I I think we see the makings of a miracle. I think we see how God works and what God wants to do in our lives in certain desert seasons. And I love that Elijah, in the middle of the drought, God is moving him. So he's by a brook. uh, He's drinking there. The brook dries up, and God moves him. He says, hey, I want you to go to this region, I want you to move. I, I, I love that even in a drought, God is speaking to him. Yes. Even in a dry season, God is guiding him. God is directing him. Just because you're in a drought doesn't mean you need to be still. Just because you're in a drought doesn't mean God's still not directing you and God's still guiding you. In fact, your way out of a drought season might just be obedience to what God is asking and leading you to do. Don't let a desert season become desolate. Don't sit on your hands and pray for rain. Listen and follow the voice of God and let him bring you out where you need to go. So this is Elijah. Elijah's being led to go to this region. And God says, have prepared a widow there. I've got three observations from the text that I think we all need to have in our own lives, in our own houses, if we're gonna experience the miracles of God. The first one is this, for all my note takers, all my world changers today. The first one is this. God is calling you to his service. God is calling you to his service. Verse number nine says this, ready? Here's God to Elijah. Go to Zarephath, the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. All right, so hey, Elijah, you've got a need. I've got a person. To the woman, he didn't tell him this, but this is what this is what's gonna happen. This is not God telling the widow, but this is what's gonna happen. Like, hey, To the woman in need, I've got a prophet from God. You've got a need, and you've got a need, and I'm sending you each other to meet your need. Like, God delights in using people to get done what he wants to get done. God doesn't need need you at all. Sorry to burst your bubble. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me in the slightest. God doesn't need any of us. Like before Elijah got sent to the widow, he was feeding him with ravens. In that culture, that was an unclean, dirty bird was how it was labeled and seen. And God is showing, I'll use worldly, unclean things to get my work done. I'll use anything to get my work done. It can be a raven. It can be a brook. I'll use the dirty things of the world to accomplish my mission. I'll use whatever. But God delights in using people. So God can use whatever he wants, but he wants to use you. And and the people that are used by God and experience the miracles of God are people that realize God is calling me to his service. Hey, Elijah, you need provision. I've got a widow. Hey, woman, you need a miracle. I've got a prophet. 
he sends them each other. What's actually comical about this story, if you go back and kind of look through it, he tells Elijah straight up, I've got a widow there, go there. So Elijah shows up to the town looking for the widow, right? Like he's given instructions, where is she? And he sees her and he asks her for bread. He asks her for the provision that God is gonna provide for her. And the woman acts like, and I believe she had no idea. <laughs> How God talked to Elijah, you would assume the woman knew. Hey, Elijah, I've, I've prepared, I've called a widow. That's what he said, I've called a widow to prepare for you, go there. And then he gets there and he talks to her and she's like, who are you? I, I must have missed that call. He must have dialed the wrong number. Like, what? like, look, this is incredible. God will call you without even asking you. God will call you and recruit you without even letting you know. God will let other people know he's called you sometimes before he lets you know he's called you. God will talk to other people about your calling before he talks to you about your calling. Man, I remember 12 years ago, right before I preached my first sermon, I wasn't trying to preach. I did not want to preach. Preaching was not my goal, target, dream job in my third grade yearbook. That was not it, okay? This is not what I wanted to do. And I remember sitting across the desk in the office of Eric Brown. He's my youth pastor. And he turns around and he looks at the calendar on the wall and he gives me a Wednesday night to preach. And he says, you're gonna preach. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I didn't say it like that, but. But God, God had spoken to him and showed him what he wanted to do with me before he showed me. God, God had called me without asking me. But as followers of Jesus, our, our, the yes is already on the table. We're just waiting for the direction. I don't, I don't get a no as a disciple of Jesus. I pick up my cross and follow him. I, I, I follow the Lord Jesus at all costs. I don't, I don't get a, a no vote in this thing. My answer is yes. God, what do you want to do? He said, I've called a widow. The widow's like, what? And I talk to some people that come to our church. And, you know, they come in. They're like, oh, yeah. People, people like the building and stuff. So they're like, oh, cool vibes in here, man. You know? <laughs> it's a cool building, you know. Whatever. And they're like, man, I like it. Kind of like the feel of this church, it's, it's intimate, you know, kind of small, kind of feels good. And I always want to say, I say, we're, we're not a small church. We're a big church. We've got a big vision from God. We've got vision for our state. We've got vision for our region. We've got vision. And, and here's what I know about you today, ready? You're called to be a part of that. Yes. Say, well, I don't know, Pastor Nate, don't put that on me. Like, how do you know I'm called to it? Here's how I know. Because you're here. You're here. You're here, so you're called to it. Like, for whatever reason, God asked Anna and I to plant this church and to pastor this church, and we're doing our best to do it and do everything that we feel like God is asking us to do. But here's the thing. Like, we can't do any of it, like none of it, without you. Like, none of it exists. None of it happens. We can't do any of the ministry without you. This is exactly why like around town, you'll drive by plots of land that are overgrown and unkept that have signs in them that say future home of so-and-so church and the sign has been there for 30 years. And there is ivy and mold all up on that thing. That's there not because a leader didn't have vision for it, it's there because not enough people rallied around it and took ownership of the vision. 
It's not there because of the lack of vision. It's there because of the lack of everyone coming together and saying we are called to be, we are called to God's service. We're called to accelerate the vision of the house. We're called to give and serve in such a way that's going to push this vision forward. It takes all of us. So we can pastor and shepherd and lead, but it takes the church. It takes the body of Christ to do his work. It takes all of us realizing I'm called to his service. I'm called to be a part of what God wants to do, that what God has given me is what someone else needs. Did you know that? It's a beautiful part about the body of Christ. What God gave the widow, Elijah needed. What God gave Elijah, the widow needed. Like what God has given you, someone else in this room needs. What someone else in this room has, you need. It's the body of Christ. It's us realizing I'm called to be used by God. I'm a part of the body and every, every part of the body has a function and a contribution to the overall mission. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. He says, just as the body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Here it is, ready? We're all baptized by one spirit to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. It's the body of Christ. This is all of us coming together to bring what God has given us to, to do what God has called us to do. If you're going to have miracles in your life and miracles in your household, you've got to realize you're called to his service. And for some of you, God hasn't even let you know that yet. But maybe God has let someone in this church know. And someone in this church might just shoulder tap you or call you, or there might be a door open or a friendship formed in this church where God is using it to open up a door for what he's calling and asking you to do. But you've got to be open and realize God's calling me to his service. God doesn't need me, but he would delight in using me and my gifts and what he's put in my life to build God's kingdom. You believe that today? The second thing is this. Put God first with expectation. Everyone that experiences miracles from God in the scripture, particularly in this story, we see they put God first with expectation. So verse number 12 is the response of this widow to Elijah's ask. Okay, I'll, I want you to look at her response. Ready? As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I'm out. I've only got flour, a little bit left in the jar in the cupboard, and a little bit of oil, so, so I'm going to go home, I'm going to whip this up, it's going to be it for us. And we know that this woman truly was at rock bottom, we know she was truly in a desperate state because it was drought, so everyone was lacking, everyone needed provision, but we know that she was very poor and very desperate because the scriptures say that she was by the city gate gathering sticks. She's picking up sticks. She's picking up wood. Like there was a drought of water and food. There was no lack of firewood. But she didn't have enough for that. So she's doing everything she could to go around and get enough just to make her last supper. So it's at that desperate place, handful of sticks, where Elijah says, hey, um, go home just like you told me to do, or just like you said you would. But first, but first, look at verse number 13. But first, make me some bread. This is very interesting because 
Elijah asks for her to do something. She then gives him an accurate picture of her current situation. And he doubles down on his ask. Go make me some bread. Sir, I... Sir, I... I First, go make me some bread. <laughs> Y'all, cancel culture would have loved this. They would have loved this. I can just see it. Prophet of God, ask widow for last meal. I mean, like the insensitivity, like CNN would have just loved this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Elijah would have been canceled like that. It would have been bad. It would have been really bad. Like, like he hears her situation, but first... Not go make a big one and slice it up into three, one for me, one for you, one for yourself. No, 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 don't, don't ration it out. First, make me one. It takes faith to put God first when you don't have enough. It takes faith to trust God first before you know what's going to follow. But hey, let's be really honest. She didn't have enough anyway. So she had the choice to eat her not enough or to sow her not enough? Because some of us look at our life, we look at our resources, we look at, and we say, I don't have enough, it's not enough. And I'd say, you're right. I, I don't have enough. You, you don't have enough. But what are we gonna do with our, with our not enough? We can go home and eat it and die or we can put God first with our not enough. So he says, hey, first, make me some. And then he gives a promise after that in verse number 14. He says, hey, here's what, here's what the Lord God of Israel says. I'm giving you a promise to go with the command I'm giving you. I'm not just giving you a principle at first. I'm giving you a promise of provision that follows the principle that I've given you. Verse number 14, he says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. He's, he's giving her a promise. If you put me first, if you put God first, it will not run out. You will have enough. There will be provision in your house. There will be a miracle in your house. Your house will be a house of miracles if you put me first. God's promise when we put him first is that there will be provision for our lives. This is what we've talked about the whole month of November, the, the principle of putting God first, trusting him with our first, and God will bring the rest. It's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and all these things will be added. Put God first, and God will take care of the rest. But I want you to look at the promise that God gives this woman. It's not just a promise of provision. It's a promise of protection. Every single historical scholar speaking about the culture of this text says that the miracle that God did by continuing to fill up the jar and fill up the jar, day by day there was provision. Day by day it didn't run out. I'm gonna pour it today and tomorrow I'll pour it again and it's gonna keep coming and keep coming. How God did the miracle was protecting this woman. Every scholar believes that if God would, if she would have put God first and God would have blessed 
abundant provision all at once, if she would have had piles and stacks and jars and, and full of oil and oil and oil and the cupboards are full of oil and there's flour everywhere, if she would have done that, she would have gotten robbed in the middle of a drought and famine. Her life would have been in danger and she would have gotten everything that God provided for her in lump sum, taken and stolen because she was vulnerable. She couldn't protect herself or what she had. So God providing Day after day, jar after jar was not just provision, it was protection. Some of you are praying for things that would kill you. Some of you are asking God to do something in your life that if he did it, you would be crushed. Some of you are asking God to do something that your soul and your disciplines and your habits in this season are not able to handle. So God's promise in your life is not just one of provision, it's one of protection. I'm going to give you everything you need, but I'm going to give you only what you need for right now because I want to protect you in your future. Promises this woman, hey, I've got you. I got you. This is really the context as well of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. That's a famous one that's quoted at everybody's graduation. You know, you did it. God has a plan and a hope for you. Well, well the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 is you're about to be in captivity for seven years. <laughs> Congratulations, you're going to be unemployed for 70 years. right? So, <laughs> that's the proper context, right? So 70 years of captivity He's letting them know it's coming. You're about to enter into hardship. You're about to enter into struggle. You're about to enter into a season where, where you're captives in a foreign land. And Jeremiah 29, 11, he, so he says this in verse number 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Here's what he's saying. Although you're in captivity, Big picture, your house, there's going to be hope in your house. Although it's crazy around you, there's going to be hope within you. This is what he's saying to this woman. Although there's drought in the land, there's provision in your house. Although there's hurt in the land, there's going to be provision for you. It's, it's a promise that in the midst of a struggle, God is still going to provide and protect you. Look, this is, this is amazing. This is such good, perfect context for today. Like in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a season that's so crazy, and nobody knows what six months or six years from now looks like. It's like we got the, you know, it's COVID, and then it's like the Delta. Now it's like Delta Plus, Diamond Medallion, <laughs> Platinum. <laughs> it's coming, it's never ending, guys, but it's like, there's new and new, and here it comes, and it's like, in the midst of all that, cutting through the, all of the news and all of the, the, the worry and the concern and inflation, and what is this and what is that, God's saying, I got a hope for you. Yeah. There's provision in your household. Yeah, I know this is happening up here, and I know, that, but I've got a plan for you. I've got protection for your house and your heart. I know everybody else is losing it and, and there's captivity, but I've got protection and a plan for you and for your house, even in the midst of this. This woman was going to get provision and protection in the midst of drought, in the midst of drought. I was thinking about this story. This is a story, if you kind of scope back at it from 30,000 feet and just look at the entirety of what God did with Elijah and this widow and her son, a really easy question to ask about the whole story would just be one word, and that's why. 
more specifically why this widow that had a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, and some firewood. You could say she had a little bit of seed in her hand, and that was it. So why did God send Elijah to her? And I asked that question because I, I feel like all of us could quickly say off a few better options. Like, like God, God could have kept providing for Elijah through birds. Or how about this one? God, why, why did you not send him to a wealthy home where there's plenty? Right? Like, surely, maybe it might not have been a lot. I know it was a drought, but surely there had to have been homes in the region of Sidon where there's plenty of seed, plenty of provision. Homes where the conversation doesn't go like, we're going to make this and die. Why, why her and her son, right? I mean, God might have been canceled here by cancel culture too. <laughs> why do you send it to her? Why do you send it to her? I was thinking about this. Why did God send Elijah to this woman? And I think it's so clear. God didn't send Elijah to her to provide for Elijah. God sent Elijah to her to provide for her. God did send Elijah to the woman because Elijah needed provision. He already got it. God, he saw God do it in other ways. He sent Elijah to this widow for the widow. And God knows the kingdom principle of first, that if, if this woman would trust God with her first, that the miracle would take place in her house. So here's what God was trying to show this woman, right? Your path to provision is through your giving. Yes. God knew the kingdom principle of putting God first and sowing the seed that you've got, whether it's abundance or whether it's a few sticks of saying, God, here's what I've got. And my path to provision with what I have is to not take my seed and eat it. My path to provision is to take my seed and sow it. God didn't lead him to her because Elijah needed it. God led him to her because he wanted to provide for her. He was looking after her. He was caring for her. And he knew that her path to provision was going to come through her giving. Was it going to come through her surrendering the little seed that she had into the hand of God? You know, it's the person of Jesus that gets us ready for heaven, but it's the principles of Jesus that brings heaven to earth. I want to say that again. It's the person of Jesus that gets you to heaven, but it's the principles of Jesus that brings heaven to earth. What we see here in this passage is a principle that the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 6 of sowing and reaping. There's several here. I just want to spout out a few for you really quick. Here's, here's the principle of sowing and reaping. The first one is you'll always reap what you sow. Like you, you can't plant corn and harvest carrots because you reap what you sow. The second thing is you always reap more than you sow. 
this little bit of seed that I have, if I'm a farmer, which I'm not, I'm definitely not a farmer. God bless you if you're a farmer. We're grateful for you. God didn't give me that gift. If, if this is my seed, I plant it in the ground, and I expect as a farmer that at harvest, there will be more than this, because I know that I will reap more than I sow. Every farmer knows that you reap later than you sow. I don't put a seed in the ground and expect the harvest tomorrow. I expect the harvest during harvest season because I know I, I, I'm going to reap later than I sow. And the last one is you always reap where you sow. Like you can plant corn in Hanover, but if you keep going out to Charlottesville to check the fields, you won't find it because you reap where you sow. This is a principle of sowing and reaping that I'm just believing God to challenge our church in, in this season. And I, I, I'm so passionate about this area. I believe so much in the principle of sowing and reaping and living generously, particularly around the area of money like we're talking about in this season with Kingdom Builders. I believe in this so much about taking whatever God has put in our hand, whatever seed has got, that God has given us and entrusting it to God. Like Elijah said, but first I'm gonna honor God, but first I'm gonna trust God, but first I'm gonna take the not enough that I have and sow it instead of swallow it. I'm so passionate about this area and I love this so much because I could be here until 10 o'clock tonight telling you stories of the last eight years of our lives as God has done this in our life that as we've sowed, we've reaped and as we've trusted God, God provided. I'm, man, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I want this for your life. I remember when me and Anna first got married, 20 years old, she was still in school I had just finished, I graduated on a Friday, we got married on a Monday, because her dad told me that I had to get a degree, so I got you, and two days later, we were married, and I just got a job at a church, I was a campus pastor overseeing a location, and, you know, I needed a job, we were married, so I got this campus pastor job, God just, it's just amazing opportunity, and they're, they're paying me $30,000 a year salary. And that, that could have been 30 million. I'm telling you, man. It was, we were new, married, and in love. She, she was trying to get through school. And that $30,000 was, it, it was not just $30,000. It was like security. It was steady. It was, oh, God, please, thank you, God, for provision in my new family. She was working a bunch of crazy jobs, a bunch of different stuff, too, as she was in school. She was probably making about the same. We were dinks. Double income, no kids. Dinks. Uh, if you're a dink right now, enjoy it. Use it. Use it to get out of debt. Pay off your student loans. Come on. So, we were, we were double income, no kids, and we used that first season to pay off our student loans. I remember driving Uber on the weekends. I wasn't preaching to tackle. You know, we just, we tried to steward well in that season. I remember in that season, to start out our marriage, we said, all right, we got a little bit of seed. Felt like a lot of seed. We got a little bit of seed. All right, where can we begin to sow some seed? So we're like, let's find some missionaries to support. So we found some missionaries to support. Some of them were friends of ours that were in the mission field. Others were things our church was doing. And our church did an offering at the, at the end of every year. And I remember 2013, 2014, they were doing stuff in India, building homes for women and sex trafficking and all these different things. And, and man, I remember planting seed. I looked back, I pulled up our giving records from 2013 and 2014 just last night. We were looking at it and seeing what we gave to the kingdom builders at our, at our church. And, and we're just looking. And we always, we were, we were trusting God with what God had put in our hand and I remember about six months into our marriage we felt like the Lord was leading us to the road to preach full-time like out of 
the security of the steady job and salary and into, like, if you don't preach, you don't eat. Or it's not if you don't preach. I, I preached and didn't eat. If you don't preach and they pay you, you don't eat, right? So I remember it was like, it, it was a step of faith. It was like, all right, dear Lord, she was still in college. Uh, we were, uh, on a good month, when we first started out, I'd make $1,000 a month preaching on a good month. Our apartment rent and utilities was $934 a month. Do the math. It doesn't work very well. We tithed, and now we're in the red. <laughs> so that's how that worked, right? So we, but I'm telling you, in that season where it was so tight, we were, we, our, the amount of seed we had was so much less, and we were like, all right, God, we want to sow even more. I remember in that season, we were like, let's find another missionary to support and add to it. There was a guy in Philadelphia who was traveling and preaching that I was learning from, and I knew the principle of sowing and reaping, that I, I need to sow where I want to reap, and I saw his ministry. He was ahead of me, and I wanted to reap that, so we gave to this minister in Philadelphia, and we had nothing to give because I wanted to reap where I was going to sow. Our date nights, we would get our dog on a leash and walk up through downtown Chester, if there's such a thing, <laughs> We would walk up to the Chester Village Green uh, little complex, and there was a pizza, a pizza place that would sell by the slice, $2 a slice. So that was our date night. And man, when we had a great month, I was like, girl, you can get orange soda. Go ahead. You can get orange soda. <laughs> you, can, you can have pizza and orange soda. It's, just gonna, it's a good month. We're splurging. God is good. Yeah. And I, I remember in every season, it was like, it was like, man, God, we're just, we just, I don't know. I, we look back. I don't even know how God did it, but God did it as we just took what we had and we put it in the ground, and we preached on the road for five years, and God blessed, and we were, we, we were doing very well on the road. I, I made more my last few years on the road than way more than I'm making now. We took a massive pay cut to plant this church from the road, okay, in all transparency. So I, I remember we were getting ready to plant the church, and we had just sold our house that we had been in for less than a year. It was like, oh my gosh, we're trying to, so we were trying to flip this house, and and we somehow miraculously made some money on it. So we're getting ready. We're like a year out from playing the church and we're sitting with a pile of seed from our house. And on one side of the coin, we could sit on it because who knows what's gonna happen with this church and if it doesn't work out, you need a plan. Or we could sell it. And I remember our church's offering at year end of 2018 was for our church and we showed up that Sunday in December at our home church sowing a seed from what we had into our own church believing God's going to bring a harvest we would travel fundraising preaching for our church when it first got started and we had a few pastors that called us over afterwards and they said hey Nate Anna we love you guys so much we believe in you and your church and and honestly we think your church is going to be fine we think you're good enough leaders we like who you have around you and we think you're going to be fine so today we don't want to give to your church today we want to give to you guys we don't want to give five grand to Oasis we want to give five grand to Nate and Anna so there we are again with some seed and we had to make decisions is this going to be seed we're going to eat or seed we're gonna sow. And over and over again, for 18 months leading up to the launch of this church, we're having conversations, hey, don't make it out to us, we want you to make this out to the church. We're gonna sow this. Because I so believe in sowing and reaping that I, if I eat this now, that's my harvest. But if I sow it, who knows what harvest is gonna be? I'm looking at it right now. I mean, I, I, I could be here all night telling you guys, so many stories, and there's so many more I'll tell, just not now and not in the season of how God's done it. I, I look at you two, 
getting ready to plant this church, and I'm like, man, God's going to do it. Man, gosh, they're, they're in a season of sowing right now. They're in a season of just, all right, God, how are you going to do this thing? And, and, and they're going to reap years down the road of what they're sowing right now. And I'm just telling you, I want this for your house. I want this to be a faith journey for you. I want you to realize God is calling you to his service. God doesn't need you, but he'd love to use you. I want you to realize that you, you can put him first and you don't have to do it doom and gloom. You can do it with expectation. Next week, we're bringing our Kingdom Builders offering with more expectation than we've ever had. We're bringing the biggest offering we've ever brought to, to, to our church, and we're doing it with expectation. We're doing it because we know it's seed in the ground. We're doing it because we know that there's harvest as a result of seed. No farmer stands over his seed and cries, plants it with expectation. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for your house and for this house to be a house of miracles. You believe that? Just stand to your feet all over the room today. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to worship with one more song. And as we always do in our last song of worship, I want us just to reflect and ask God, what are you speaking to me today? God, what are you challenging me in? What obedience? What step are you asking me to take? I, want, I just want you to give God your yes. When the, song comes, when the song's over, I'm going to come up. We're going to take communion together as a church family to finish out our time together. And so I want you to take these next few moments to worship and respond to what God is speaking to you and seek him. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the example of the incredible faith of this woman. God, to trust you and thank you for the miracle of her household. And Lord, I just, I'm grateful for the miracles you've done in our home, in our family, and in this church thus far, Lord. And I'm believing that you're just getting started. God, I'm believing the best miracles, the greatest stories have still to have still to be told, Father. And I just pray for every single person here today, every single household. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that be houses of miracles. God, things that they're believing you for in this season, God, would supernatural breakthrough happen. God, supernatural joy, supernatural provision, supernatural peace, supernatural, j just a move of your spirit in our homes and in our lives that only you could do in this season. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.